that's what Greater is all about. It's about us operating with generosity to bring hope to a very dark world. so much for actually standing in front of our brand new Speed Delight vehicle. We are so pumped about it. Give God some praise for what's happened in 2017. Great year, great time. Man, it is so, it's such an honor and privilege for myself and Tammy to pastor this great church and to be a part of what God's doing. And uh, you've got a brochure that talks a little bit about what's happening. We're going to get to that in a minute and what we're doing in 2018. And so, you know, two years ago, Greater was launched as a, a goal of providing the opportunity to give above and beyond. At Life Church, we, we say it like this, that the tithe, 10% of our income, according to the Bible, belongs to God. So as we bring the tithe, that's an act of obedience. We don't give it. It's not ours. It's his. We bring it. But then beyond the tithe is, is about generosity. And, uh, and so that's how we've kind of put together greater to say whether it's around the corner, around the world, that's what we're doing. And so I just um, just so thankful for your generosity, for your faithfulness. And I just want to take a couple minutes to celebrate that, if that's okay, just to kind of brag on you. Is that okay to brag on you for a few minutes? Yeah, good, yeah. So just a couple key statistics I want to kind of give you. There were 18 students that went to camp on scholarships because of your generosity of giving to Greater. There were 37 organizations that we supported as a congregation this past year. Uh, 37 individual missionary families uh, that we supported uh, uh, globally this past year. 46 people on mission trips. 686 families from our congregation uh, gave to Greater. $19,700 was given to Speed the Light by Life Church Youth, and that was able to complete the amount of money that was needed for Kevin and Noel Miller, former Life Church staff members, as they arrived uh, in Europe to begin their, their missionary career uh, with, with a vehicle. And so you saw that on the screen. $8,321 is given to BGMC through your children. So those of you that are elementary moms and dads, those little buddy barrels, those little orange-yellow barrels that they come home with that put change in, 8000 
$321. That's a lot of nickels and dimes and pennies. Amen. And uh, it all came together for a total of $635,123 that was given above and beyond tithe. And again, last year was a record year in giving in that area. Uh, above and beyond all that for, for greater, uh, around the corner, around the world missions. And so how was that money distributed? I'm so glad you asked that question. Of that $635,000 plus, 76% of greater went to what we call greater mission. And so that's what you would, if you've been involved in church very long, it's just classic missions, international global missions. So building Bible schools, uh, uh, feeding programs, uh, humanitarian aid that, that's, that's connected to the gospel and compassion ministries. Um, uh, basically ministering and um, developing, discipling people and pastors and leaders around the world, a lot of times in closed communist countries, what we call the, the persecuted church. And we're going to talk a lot about that next weekend. So I hope that you come back. Next weekend is going to be a great, great, great time uh, that we're going to get a chance to share with you about just something very cool internationally. And uh, so, so that's, that's where that, that, that giving went. 14% of the greater, of the greater uh, giving went to what we call greater generation. So that's uh, uh, basically elementary, junior high, high school, uh, you know, college age ministries. None of that goes to support salaries here at the church or to provide any type of funding for ministries here. So in, in, in the... Uh, early childhood area for gold, goldfish and, and snacks and all that, that all comes out of, out of the tithe. That's all out of the obedience giving. This money goes above and beyond, uh, not, to, not here, but just uh, for, uh, for, for everything from camp scholarships to campus ministries, outreaches, things that are beyond the church and the four walls of the church. And then 10% of the greater giving went to what we call greater expansion. And that helps us reduce the debt on this facility here. Uh, and then also along with that, a quarter million dollars out of the tithe giving that you uh, give out of obedience giving, that also on, on top of that went to, uh, went, to, went to debt reduction here. And we continue to do that and to increase that as that tithe increases because we just want to continue to pay that down. Not that we're debt-free, that's not the goal, but the goal is that we can continue to do more and more and more and more and more. And so that all happens because of your generosity. And if you look in this brochure that's on the seat pocket in front of you, there's two things. One is you can take this with you, uh, and there's a, there's, a, there's a commitment card. We're not doing any commitments today, this weekend. This is just simply for information for you to take and process and pray about what you want to do. But, but the inside of that is kind of where we're going in 2018. And so for Greater Mission, we've got a goal of $520,000. You can see the missions, the organizations, all that that, that will be going towards. Uh, greater Generation, uh, a, a goal, an opportunity to give for $80,000. And again, that's Campus Ministries, um, you know, uh, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, University of Wisconsin, uh, Madison, uh, University of Con Wisconsin, Oshkosh, I mean, on and on and on. There are full-time campus pastors that we are heavily supporting uh, quite significantly monthly, you are, uh, in order to help minister to students on those campuses, some of your kids, your grandkids, nieces and nephews, so forth and so on. And so that's where that's going. And then, then the greater expansion, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today, but $400,000. We're, we are, are growing at the Appleton campus, and so today they they uh, communicated a, a vision of what God is going to do, and we believe we're going to be in a permanent location. That's what we're looking for right now in Appleton, and so that's happening. Pastor Jeff and Abby Lister are doing an amazing job, and God's doing some incredible things there, and so that's growing and happening, and then we're going to talk about some of the rest of, of, of that today. So again, that's just there for you, but I want to talk about where we are today, 
and, and we're for 2018. And, and the past 15 years, as I've been the senior pastor, uh, it's, again, it's been amazing to see what God has done in our journey and what I think he continues to want to do in us. You know, 15 years ago, we gave about $3,200 total as a church to missions, to what we call greater giving. This past year, we gave over $600,000. I, I believe that this next year, we'll, we'll, we'll break the million-dollar mark. And I know some people go, that's just crazy. No, it's not. Some of you know uh, he was a, a long-term youth pastor at, um, at Evangel Assembly of God Church on Good Hope Road. He pastored, planted a church about 22 years ago in Minneapolis, a church called River Valley, Rob Ketterling. This past year, that 22-year-old church, above and beyond tithe and all that they're doing, just for missions, brought in $6.4 million. Now, if Minnesotans can do that, Wisconsinites definitely can do that. Amen? Can I get a witness in the house? Amen? Oh, you're going to let them beat you? No. Right? Someone's like, no. So I'm just saying, I, I believe that and we're not getting the $6 million this year. It'll maybe it may take us two years, but, but I'm just a joke. But I'm just that we're going to continue to advance. And I'm just saying that that's what happens is, is when we began to just let God get it through us, he gets it to us. That's how that happens. I asked Rob. I saw Rob this week. And I just said, hey, man, did God show up with a check? He said, nope. Just people. Week in, week out, giving, loving, serving. That's how it happens. That's how it's happened here. And so... Um, I think that God is doing amazing things. I think he's done amazing things. But I don't want us to become satisfied or content with where we are. That's my concern. My concern is not about a problem that we're dealing with. It's not about an issue of anything that's happening. It's not about some struggle that's happening in the church. It's not about anything that's splintering or whatever. Quite frankly, life is really good at Life Church. This is a very good season that we're in. But my concern is, is that we become content. We become satisfied. My concern is, is that we begin to celebrate what God did rather than what God's doing. Because that's what happens in church life. All of a sudden, what happens is, is that we become content with what he did and not look to what he's doing or wants to do. We, we almost break our proverbial arms patting ourselves on the back because we begin to believe our own press. You know, 15 years ago, when I came to this, to this area, there were some churches that were leading churches. And they, some of those churches are struggling to pay their bills today. Why? How does that happen? That's not new, it's, but it happens all the time in, in cycle of church life. i tell you why. Because somewhere along the way, those churches began to celebrate what they did rather than what they were doing and what God wanted to do. The past became greater than the future. And they began to focus not on what faith could do, because remember, that's the currency of heaven. And they began to determine on what they could do. They began to look at it on what they had the ability to budget rather than what God wanted to do to them. And the thing is, is that we're at a place in our, our history of our church where it'd be very easy for us to fall right into that. Life's good. Everybody's happy. Three services that look relatively like this on the weekend. Yeah, there's some empty seats, but if they get all full, we're going to have to add another service or build another building. And so it's a pretty good place where we are right now. And, 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 and ministries are here. And our kids are, are they, they like Life Kids and Life Church Youth. And, and everything's good and solid. And we're a family. And this is all good. But is this all that God wants to do? No. 
And so if you have your Bible, I want to read a passage from Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. Because this becomes the, the concern. This becomes the alarm I want to sound today as the pastor. It's in the book of Revelation, John writes that there are seven churches when Jesus comes back. They're all part of the body of Christ. And they're, they're, they're all collectively uh, make up the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. But they all have different strengths and weaknesses. And this one church called the Church of Laodicea, this is my concern that we don't fall into this. Because what happens with this church is that their past became greater than their future. It became about what they could do and not about what God wanted to do through them. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. For I know your deeds, God says, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And you say, for I am rich and I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, the church in Laodicea never intended to be lukewarm. No church ever starts out that way. The church of Laodicea never, never, never intended to, to be where they were. To be wretched or pitiful or poor or blind or naked. Quite frankly, they didn't even realize that that's what they were. They thought they'd kind of hit the big town. They'd kind of hit the zenith. They, this was a very rich city, a very affluent city. They didn't lack anything. The problem is, is that in all of their self-sufficiency, they quit relying on Jesus. And all their self-sufficiency, they, they, they quit looking to him as the author and the finisher of their faith. They began to do what they, not what they could believe God for, but what they could budget. Nothing wrong with having things, just something wrong with things have you. The same thing is true of a church. There's nothing wrong with a church being blessed and being affluent and, 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 and having, but there's something that's accountable to us when we get to that place. To whom much is given, much is required. And I'm not talking about a redistribution of wealth, because Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. But there's a responsibility to say, God, what do you want to do? God, how do you want to work through me? Because what happens in churches like Laodicea is that they forget their reason for existence. It's the purpose for every church. To do what? Go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. The world, what is that? That's around the corner. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I know churches that completely go around the world, but they never reach the city that they're in. And I know churches that reach a city and they're in and they never touch around the world. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. And some people go, well, that's a lot of money. Yep. Yep. That's why he gave it to you. There's a responsibility with all of us. And so the reality is, is that we all very easily become very inwardly focused. We all very easily begin to turn to ourselves. That's the reason why Jesus said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? Because you're always going to love you. You looked at yourself in the mirror and you said to yourself today, self, you look good. Some of you are lying. That's all right. I'm looking at you right now. Some of you don't need to look in the mirror. Some of you are like, yeah. Why? Because I'm naturally going to take care of me. 
as a local church, we're naturally going to take care of ourselves. It's never my concern as a pastor that, that our kids are going to be, are going to be neglected or that, or that ministry here is going to be neglected or there's not going to be anybody to help make the coffee. Uh, and thank God for Scott Mankey and making those coffee kiosks that are out there today and the pumps are coming in next week and all that good stuff. And we're going to keep brewing that stuff hot and fresh and it'll be free as long as you just keep leaving the makers there because you paid for it. That's why it's free. So thank you. But, um, but it's going to be there. And, but, but the reality is, is I'm never worried about the coffee not being made or the ministry not being taken care of here. Because we're always going to take care of ourselves here. These floors are going to get vacuumed here. And these lights are going to be on. And, and the music's going to be good. And that, that's not what I'm worried about. My concern is, is that we lose our first love as the church of Laodicea. And that we wind up wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And we don't even realize it. So what, what do we do? How do we deal with this? I want to talk to you about the journey that we've been on. Because I think this is the genesis of how this happens. When Tammy and I came to the pastors here at Life Church in 2002, 15 years ago, we were kind of in a very much a survival mode. Church was less than 100 people. We're in a storefront here in the shopping center. Everybody that was in the church, man, they had a heart to reach lost people. This church was started because the people that were here were told they would see more people come to faith in Christ if they planted a church than any other way. So they left a very comfortable church that was large and that had all their needs met to basically come and to begin at Germantown High School and then move into this shopping center. And it was a struggle. And, and the, 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 the founding pastor that was here had some major issues. Uh, and he, those were dealt with, and he wasn't here very long, and the church was without a pastor for six months, and Tammy and I came in, and we were 30 years of age, never had pastored before, and uh, they took a chance on us that we will forever be grateful for and gave us an opportunity. But we were in this, we had to grow to survive. We had to, every family, every person, everything, and we, everything. We were thankful for everything and, and every bit. And so there was just this kind of grinded out. And in 06, God really opened up the doors and miraculously provided for us to be able to buy this shopping center at basically 40% of the, of the assessed value and the appraised value of the shopping center. Just a miracle. And so from 06 to 14, we knew that God was growing and that we had to build a facility that would facilitate what God was doing. And so we began capital camp campaign fundraising. So if you're around during those days, you remember Prime, Prime Property, Prime Price at a Prime Place, and then we went to Prime 29, and then we went from Prime 29 to Heart for the House, and, and that gets us to where we are today and all of that because we were facilitating the growth that God was doing. And in 2015, we kind of, that came to an end, and from 2015, 2016, and 2017, we were in what I would call a season of intentional rest. It was just a season of rest. It's like if you understand agriculture, you don't always farm the same fields every year. You rotate the crops that you farm in those fields. And you also have seasons where you do not, crop, you do not plant any crops in those fields to allow the field to lie dormant. So that the field itself will naturally regenerate itself, naturally, uh, organically begin to, re, to just to, the, the nutrients of the soil and everything comes back to completion so that it's ready for the next season. So if you, because if you plant year in and year out the same crop, you will eventually strip the, the, the property of its nutrients and it will be good for nothing. So there's a season for everything. And so we were in a season of rest. I needed rest. 80% of senior pastors in America that build a sanctuary resign their pulpits within 18 months. 80%. There's just a drain. I needed a rest. You needed a rest. 
we needed to kind of just kind of just take this season of rest. And in that, it wasn't we were lazy. We were restructuring for the next season. God was rebuilding and renewing and, and just doing some things in the next season. He was refining some future steps of where we were going. And, 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 and so we were continuing to see life change happen. And we were continuing to see God grow, the church grow and develop. But, but there were no high-stakes initiatives. Very intentional. And so it brings me to where we are today in 2018. During this season, there were several things I don't have time to unpack today. But one of those things that was, that was very much God was dealing with me about is praying and processing about what's the next step. Where do we go? If I'm really honest with you, it's things like, God, are you done with me? Is this what you've brought me to do? And I've completed what you wanted. And are you wanting me to go somewhere else and do something else? It wasn't what I wanted to do. It was just being available. Because I very much believe that you live life palms up. It's what God says, and it's what he says in the book of Job. God gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Because everything works in seasons. And I didn't feel that at all. And I was just began to say, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? What, what is that thing? What, where are we going? What, what's this next piece? What's this next step? And how are you doing this? Over the past year, I've been, I've been just meeting with people and having conversations. And, and at several weeks ago, when Pastor Tommy Barnett was here, I, I had a three-hour meeting, just dinner with him on, a, on, a, on Friday night before he preached on Saturday. And, I mean, I picked that man's brain that there was nothing left. And I was just going, and, and he began to ask me questions. And he began to, and all of this stuff was culminating. And I was processing with him, how do I know this and that? And talk to me about this, and talk to me about that. And, and what about it? How do you? And the one thing that keeps coming up over and over and over is the biggest mission field that we have in our world is right in our own backyard. Or rather, maybe we're in its own backyard. Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, a lot of challenges, a lot of needs, a lot of opportunities. Poverty, Milwaukee is the nation's fifth most impoverished city in the United States of America. 29% of the population live in poverty compared to a national average of 14%. 43% of the children in Milwaukee live in poverty. 80% of the children qualify for free or reduced lunch. Crime, the nation's fifth most dangerous city per capita, only behind St. Louis, Detroit, Birmingham, and Memphis. Segregation. According to the latest U.S. Census analysis, Milwaukee is the most segregated city in America. The number one. Over 50% of black men have been incarcerated in Milwaukee County. Milwaukee County has the biggest achievement gap between white and black students in the country. Education. Milwaukee has one of the most underachieving school districts in the country. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just telling you what, just some facts. The graduation rate of MPS is at 60% compared to the state average of 89%. Unemployment, the black male unemployment rate in Milwaukee is at 53%. And if you don't work, you don't eat. And things get dire in a hurry. Our city, Milwaukee, is in desperate need. Aaron, do you think we can change this overnight? Nope. Do you think we can make a significant impact? Yep. So what do we do? Well, I can tell you for me, part of this, this journey has been this, is that I used to say when I was in Bible college, I don't understand why large churches and affluent churches don't plant strategic churches in cities. 
I don't know why Manhattan and downtown Chicago and, 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 and these major cities, Detroit, they don't have some major booming uh, church in, in, the, center, in the, the, the center city uh, of, of those metropolitan areas. It was about that time that, that a guy named Charles Hackett came into, into National Fellowship and, and said, hey, we're going to, uh, we're, we're, we're going to begin to, to do an initiative. There's 39 metropolitan areas in America that, that basically have a million people plus in their metropolitan area that we want to strategically plant churches in. And, and, and God really began to speak to my heart. At that point in time, Milwaukee was the 19th largest city in America. And, um, and I, began to, I began to, as a Bible college student, uh, preaching on the weekends and, and doing janitorial services at night while I was going to Bible college, I began to give above and beyond my tithe for that initiative. Little did I know God would take me to the suburb of one of those cities. I began to say, somebody should do something. And if I was this person, and if I was this, and if I had this, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting there at dinner with Pastor Barnett, and I realize we, Life Church, just what you gave last year, we're in the top 30 churches in our fellowship of almost 14,000 churches in America. There were only 27 or 28 churches that gave more than you did to missions last year. In size, we're in the top 1%. But just in Dallas on Friday at a meeting with the new general superintendent and about 24, 30 other people in the room discussing what God's doing and where he's taking us and what's going to happen. We're in a place of significance. We are that church. I am that pastor. I don't feel like that pastor. I feel like I'm some 20-something. I'm just a kid from Arkansas. Like I'm happy to have a pair of shoes and a full set of teeth, right? You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just happy to be here. But when you begin to look, this is where God's placed us. So I think now is the time that we make an impact. I think now is the time that we don't just be a church that's rich and increased with wealth and have need of nothing and forget our first love, but that we remember why we are here and what God's brought us to. Again, this isn't an either or. It's a both and. It's not a forsaking of what we're doing here locally. We're going to continue to do what we're doing. This is not about not doing. This is about we're going to continue, and we're going to continue to go around the world. You're going to hear about that next weekend, trust me. But this is about what's happening and where I think a focus for us this next year is in the city of Milwaukee. And again, I have been spending a lot of time, a lot of conversations with a lot of people. You get 10 different community leaders in a room, you'll have 10 different responses. And so what I know is what I don't know. That, does that help anybody? And for me, I'm a type A personality. I want to know all the X's and the O's, all the game plan. I want to plan a contingency plan and a contingency on the contingency. You know, I, I, I am that kind of, but, but I don't have the luxury of that right now. I feel like Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 where God says, go to the land and I will show you. I feel like what we are to do is to trust God. What we are to do is to simply go. And as we go, God's going to open doors. And God's going to help us. What do you mean, Aaron? Let me show you what I mean. There's going to be a map that's going to come on the screen, and you're going to see where this particular area of the city that I feel like God is directing us towards in, in, in connection with where we are. You'll see Brown Deer Road up to the top, Green Bay Avenue, which is 57, or Cedarburg Road going along the eastern corridor, Wauwatosa 76th Street running north and south, and North Ave running east and west. So you got North Ave, Burleigh, Capitol, Hampton, Silver Spring Mill, Good Hope, all the way to Brown Deer Road. Somewhere in that vicinity is where God's opening up a door for us. 
What do you mean he's opening up a door? That means somebody in this room, you've got a piece of property, you own a building, or you have the ability to write a check. I don't care which three, I need it. I'm not smiling or joking. I, I need it, and, and you're going to give it to me, and that what we're going to do is we're going to go. And, and here's the reason why. Yeah, give God praise, not me. Because this is in our backyard. Sherman Park is in this area. And so the reality, thank you guys, the reality is, is that we need to create what I call a beachhead. We need to create a place because that's too big of a place for us to meet all the needs there. It, Milwaukee's too big for one church to do anything. We're just going to do what God's called us to do. Does that make sense? We're, we're not the Savior. We're simply going to do what God's called us to do and to serve. And there's a lot of things that we don't know. And we'll be really honest. We don't know. We, we're, we're not, we're not, and we're going to have a lot of strategic alliances to be able to do this because there's people that can do things better than us. But it's just saying, let's put together a place where we can basically kind of a base of operation. And what that does is I believe God's going to, God is opening that door even as we speak. And what's going to happen out of that is that we'll give us an opportunity to go a tenth of a mile, two tenths of a mile, three tenths of a mile, half a mile, mile radius from that location and begin to service and minister to needs right in that area. Begin to work in schools right in that area. Begin to meet people's needs right in that area. Because, again, we can't do everything, but we can do something. So what kind of needs are we going to jump into? Well, these are the things that we've discovered over the last year of having conversations. One is unemployment. How do we help people? If 53% of, of, of African Americans, living, males living in the city are unemployed, that's a problem. We're not the answer, but here's what I know. There are businessmen and businesswomen in this room. You have HR skills and background. We're going to help people. We're going to give them an opportunity. That's all, our, that's all we're, we're required to do is to begin to just love people and help people and serve people in areas that they need. Help people. I was talking with someone between services who's a professor at, at a local technical college and says, man, I, I've done this, and, and, and I think that there's some things that we can do even with this next generation, and, and I'm so excited about this. There's some of you that you own companies that you have the ability that you need staffing. How do we help staff that? I had a conversation with a leading African-American pastor in, in Milwaukee about 10 days ago, and he told me, this is one of the needs. How do we employ? How can we help? And he said, Aaron, you have businessmen and women in your church that own companies that if we can figure out how to connect them with these people that have needs, we can minister to people and change lives and families. That's what we want to try to do. Physical needs, housing, food, clothing, basic necessities. Homelessness is not someone just sleeping under a bridge. It's someone who doesn't have a place to go at night and a mother who has children and she sends the children to, to this family member's house and this friend's house and that friend's house and she's going to go do what she has to go do in order to, to, to take care of her needs for the night and, 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 and things are going to happen and, and, and hey man, can I stay on your couch tonight or can I do this tonight? Physical needs, right where people are living, just miles away from us. Compassion, human trafficking, infant mortality, foster care. And I know many of you are involved with some of these things. But how do we, the, we what we want to do is facilitate and continue to see more of this happen and, and, and help people that are involved and that are needing. Next generation, after school programs, kids ministry, working with local schools. Listen. There is such need. How do we go in and help? Going to the, high, to, to, to the principal, just saying, is there a way that we can serve? Is there something that we can do? Whether it's a physical thing at the church or whatever. That, that's what we want to be able to do is minister in those areas. Again, always providing the gospel. So in 2018, three things that I, I want to do, three, three goals that I have. Number one, raise awareness. 
Starts with conversations like this. I'm going to keep it in front of you. We're going to keep talking about this. Do I have answers? Nope. Got a lot of questions. We're going to step in the middle of all that. Now, how do we deal with that? And how do we, how, how do we, how do we help that? And what, what do we do? And, and, and again, just having the conversations and not being paralyzed with fear. Secondly is raising finances. I've allocated a quarter of a million dollars out of greater giving. And again, if it doesn't come in, I can't give it. I don't have a connection with a heavenly bank account. It's coming from you. And so the reality is, is giving that. And I don't really want to spend it on a building. That's why I want somebody to give me one. Because I'd much rather spend it in people's lives than I would spend it on, on bricks and sticks. Again, I'm not against that, but I just want to minister to people. But I know we need to have a place. We need to have a place. So raising those finances. And then lastly is raising volunteerism. Where you are going to have opportunities for you to go into the city. For you to bring your kids into the city. To serve in the city. You know, what if we do, like, what if we do sports camps in the city? Do you know how many athletes, coaches, and professionals that are connected with our church? And we do stuff. And parks. And that, but we're connected back into that, to that place of ministry in that local area. I don't know how all it's going to look, but we're going to serve. We're going to figure out ways to serve people and minister to people and love on people. So what can you do today? I'm so glad you asked that question. Pray. 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 Because I'm telling you, this is the craziest thing we've ever done. This is the hairiest thing we've ever done. I could raise another $10 million and it'd be easier than what we're about to do. I had one pastor tell me, he laughed. I was in his office, African-American pastor, prominent church in the city. I was talking to him and, and just sharing my heart. And he laughed. He said, I think this is wonderful. I think this is great. He said, I think that God's going to use you guys. I think God's going to open up a door. I see you having a church and a church service. And I see your people from Germantown coming in. He said, but when they do, tell them to take their purses with them. He said, don't leave them there at the, at the pew. When they go to the altar, come back, it'll be gone. He said, it happens every week here. He said, he just starts laughing. He said, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun for you. He said, you do know this is crazy what you're about to do. I said, yes, sir. He said, good, as long as you know that. Pray that God opens the door. Pray that God will speak. Pray that God will give us favor. Pray that God will do. All we want to do is serve. This has no ability in a tangible, physical, fiscal way to come back and bless this congregation. It's supernatural. What I'm asking you to give to, it does not affect you or your kids. It's only eternity will reveal. So the reality is, is just begin to pray, volunteer. As the opportunities come up, we need to see it and taste it and touch it and smell it. Our city, where we are, where we live. I mean, from here going to the city, you can, you can run Mequon Road over to 43 and go south, or you can hop on the expressway just two miles west of here and take 4145 and hit 794 or 94 uh, east going downtown to the lakefront, and you can do that and bypass this entire area that we're talking about. I know it's faster and it's easier, but we are only as big as the roads that we travel. But when was the last time you drove through Sherman Park? And I'm not talking about you're on your way to a Bucks game because 145 is easier because expressways are packed. Ooh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. All up in your business. 
When was the last time that you served in an area like that? And I know many of you do, but, but when was the last time? And you go, what's important about that, Pastor? Because you hear the cries of lost people. You see the hurting parts of humanity. You get to see it. I see it all around the world, but I'm telling you, for this past year, I've been driving and going and doing and having conversations and seeing and smelling and touching and tasting. Why? Because it's so important that in our suburban setting that we don't forget that just miles away from us, there are people that don't have food to eat. There are people that are hurting. There are children that are scared. There are, there, there's a city that is, look, it is so paralyzed by segregation, we don't even realize it. I grew up in the segregated South. I grew up around hearing this and that. I hate segregation. I hate prejudice and racial bias. I don't understand it. I have no room for it. It does not compute in my head. But, but, and I think we are naturally not that way except for the world in which we live in never takes us to a place where we have to interact. And what I'm saying is we need to forcefully go ourselves into a place where it goes out of our comfort zone and out of our natural routine and rhythm in order to see. Because do you not think that God hears those prayers? Yes. And he's speaking to you and to you and to you and to me because we're going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus that's going to help along with a whole multitude of other people to minister to a city. So... And I know I'm preaching to the choir a bit today. I, I get all of that. You're a generous church. You've always been a generous church. And again, this isn't an either or. It's a both and. But since we've gotten into this building, I've not asked anything sacrificial of you intentionally. But we're coming to a season where I'm asking it. In order to accomplish what God's put on my heart and where I think he's leading us, it's going to take time and talent and treasure to do that. And he's given us an opportunity. If we don't, somebody else will. But he's speaking to our hearts now. Timing is very important. If you've been reading through the, the soap the, the, the monthly and the daily reading that we're doing, these two chapters a day, all throughout the book of John. And his, Jesus would slip away from the crowds because his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. This was not for the time now. Jesus was in a public ministry for three years until the time came for him to go and die on the cross. Timing's important. We're in a critical place of timing. So again, for me, this goes way back. Again, I grew up in a neighborhood where I grew up with kids that were black and white and brown and yellow, striped polka dot. I mean, I never thought anything about it. The, the, the people that lived across the street, uh, she was my age, Tasha. We were, we were best of friends. I'd go play pickup ball down the street at at Scott Phillips' house or over with Walter Macy. And, and I mean, it just was what this neighborhood kids, we were all just hanging out. And yeah, I grew up in the South and I would hear certain things and, and, and hear certain statements and, and hear racial slurs. But I wasn't raised that way. 
thing that always, like I said, bugged me was, was racial bias and prejudice. I just never understood it. I just don't understand discriminating against people because of, because of the color of their skin. I don't understand discriminating against somebody because of how much money they have or don't have. I don't understand that. I just, I never have. I just think it's so un, un-Christ-like. The church I grew up in was a smaller church, but I'd hear statements like, yeah, we, we wouldn't mind having good black families coming in. Just racial bias. I got in trouble one time. My dad got on to me because I heard somebody say that in, I, in the foyer of the church, and I was in Bible college, and I looked at him. I said, what are you talking about? And who died and made you God? My dad said, Aaron. I said, yes, sir, I understand, but this is wrong. The Bible says if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God in heaven whom you haven't? We stand before God for this. So one of the things that hit me was when I was in Bible college and God began to speak to my heart about pastoring, which is not really what I wanted to do, was that I had this dream or vision, this desire to want to pastor a church that would be with people of all colors and ethnicities that would sit together in the same pew and worship together because we all serve the same God. And people that were down and out, that didn't have anything, that came in on the bus. And people that were up and over, rich people. Because sometimes rich people don't feel comfortable coming to church because they, everybody wants something from them. But they would all come together and sit in church. Join hands and pray together in church. Sing songs that praise the same God together in church. Pray for one another in church. Love one another in church. Minister to one another's needs. It sounds like the book of Acts, doesn't it? In church, as, as they had need. To break bread in one another's home in church. That's how I was raised. To love. You see, because we serve the same Jesus. And there's not a black Jesus or a white Jesus or an American Jesus or a striped Jesus or a polka dot Jesus. It's just Jesus. And I came across, was a book was given to me by Chuck Swindoll, a parable that he had written that I've kept, that I read regularly, that kind of encapsulates what I think church should be, what we're called to do, that keeps us from being that church in Laodicea, that allows us to be unstoppable. I read this on a regular basis, and again, I've had this for, wow, a long, long, long time. I just want to read it for you today, and then we're going to close. On a dangerous seacoast notorious for shipwrecks, there was a crude life-saving station. Actually, the station was merely a hut with only one boat, but few devoted members kept a constant watch over the turbulent sea. With little thought for themselves, they would go out day and night and tirelessly search for those in danger as well as the lost. Many, many lives were saved by this brave band of men and women who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the life-saving station. By and by, it became a famous place. And some of those who had been saved, as well as others of those along the seacoast, wanted to become associated with this little station. They were willing to give of their time and their energy and their money in support of its objectives. New boats were purchased. New crews were trained. The station that was once obscure and crude and virtually insignificant began to grow. 
Some of the members weren't happy that the hut was so unattractive and poorly equipped. They felt more, a more comfortable place should be provided. So emergency cots were replaced with lovely furniture and rough handmade equipment was discarded and sophisticated classy systems were installed. The hut, of course, had to be torn down to make room for the additional equipment and the furniture and the systems and the appointments. And by its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place. Its objectives began to shift. It was now used as a sort of clubhouse, an attractive building for public gatherings. Saving lives, feeding the hungry, strengthening the fearful, and calming the disturbed rarely occurred. Few members were now interested in the braving the seas on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do this work. The original goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decor. In fact, there was a liturgical lifeboat preserved in the quote-unquote room of sweet memories with soft, indirect lighting that would help hide the layer of dust upon the once-used vessel. At this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned, dirty, sick, and lonely people that were different from the majority of the club members. The beautiful new clubhouse suddenly became messy and cluttered, and a special committee saw to it that a shower was immediately built outside and away from the club so the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the, at the time of the meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings, which resulted in a division among the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and all the involvements with the shipwreck victims, citing it's too unpleasant. It's a hindrance to our social life. It's opening the door to the folks who are not, quote-unquote, our kind. And as you'd expect, some still insisted upon saving lives. That was their primary objective. That was their only reason for existence, was ministering to anyone needing help, regardless of the club's beauty, size, or decor. But they were voted down and told if they wanted to save lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As years passed, a new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into yet another club, and yet another life-saving station was begun, and the history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with life-saving. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but now most of the victims are not saved. And every day they drown at sea, and so few seem to care. So very few do you.